0: This is Jeff. In this episode, I chat with Spencer Kuiper. He's a STEM educator and the 2019 Louisiana State Teacher of the Year. We focus our conversation on STEM education, the opportunities that come along with the State Teacher of the Year platform, and how he's leveraging those opportunities to support his students. And my colleague Justin Bruno joins me to help me unpack that conversation with Spencer. Welcome to the Digital Backpack. All right, I am with Spencer Kuyper, who is a STEM educator in Louisiana and is the 2019 Louisiana State Teacher of the Year. Did I say all that right? <laughs> yeah, you did. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so, have you always wanted to be a teacher? How'd you, how'd you get to uh, where you're at now?
1: You know, it's always interesting. Um, I love origin stories um, of pretty much like superheroes. Um, creative people, innovators. Origin stories are like my jam. And so teachers definitely fall in that category of having incredible origin stories. I unfortunately um, don't have like a a really incredible origin story, but um, I can tell you that ever since I was a junior in high school, uh, teaching was something that I wanted to do. And um, it was really working at a summer camp uh, where I was responsible for teams of, you know, uh, elementary and middle school age kids And then i realized that wow this is something that i really love doing maybe maybe i should look into this and so i went back uh in in my junior year i made the decision to become a teacher so well
0: that's i mean an origin story is a is an origin story right yeah so tell me tell me about this origin story uh then from um from that point you decided to become a teacher how do you get from that to like a STEM educator. Did that, that title even exist? No, no. Um, when you, when you started exploring that? It definitely did not. And in
1: fact, the summer camp that I worked at was essentially like a STEM camp before STEM was ever STEM. And so, um, when I went into teaching, you know, I would spend my entire school year. Um, it was a summer camp that I attended, uh, as a child. And so I okay. would spend my entire year waiting for that one week that I was able to go to that camp. And, I thought to myself, you know, why shouldn't school be as exciting as that experience? You know, I wait this entire year just for that one week. What if that could be parlayed into my classroom experience? And so I kind of set my sight on building that type of excitement and that type of impactful experience um, into a classroom experience. And so I went to school. I graduated from high school, went to college, and um, went through a traditional education preparation program and became an english teacher actually by trade and minored in biology so oh wow yeah it was uh it was very interesting being an english education major in a botany class i will tell you that um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah and so i graduated and luckily i've had some incredible educational leaders um, that i've worked for that i've seen value in my vision uh, building stem programs and um, experiences for kids and so I've been very fortunate. I've been able to pretty much do exactly what I set my sights for when I was 16 years old: um, building experiential STEM experiences for kids in my area.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, I'm curious about like that that English background. What do you think that brings to? Um, uh, to your approach as a, as a STEM educator, have you, uh, you haven't like taught a straight up ELA class ever, or have you, or uh, when I um,
1: first got into teaching, I taught remedial math and English. And so I did okay. teach remedial English there for a time. Um, but then I think my potential within the STEM arena and uh, technology arena was kind of realized very quickly. And so I was able to kind of pursue that, um, opportunity, but as far as my english background i leverage that i think more than anything to be honest with you because the my ability to communicate um and write and articulate my ideas surrounding sort of my my belief system with stem and cyber education i think is uh what has allowed me to get to this point today so um and i convey that to the kids all the time and so um, a lot of times i a lot of what we do in my STEM class does have a strong liberal art focus. Okay. Uh, for example, we have a uh, we have a what I call the STEM on screen film festival. We have an incredible like independent film house here in my area, and I partner with them every single year to host a film festival that brings some really neat STEM related films to uh, the mm-hmm. students in my area. And I bring all sorts of schools from the area all together um, at this film house, and we'll have like a little mini film festival and we'll have people from industry come and speak to the students. And, um, so there's a strong liberal art focus with what I do with the kids as well. So I'm very thankful for that, that combination of that, uh, liberal art and STEM education that I received in college.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, with that, um, with the, with the movie, the house, uh, like, like you're looking for opportunities to engage the students with the community um, and uh, like the creative aspects are are kind of um, what you borrow from that, um, that English background is what you're saying?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, part of, to me, the best learning happens outside the classroom. And so taking the kids out into the community, seeing not only a fantastic cultural aspect of our area, um, you know, because a lot of the students have never even stepped foot in the independent film house, much less um, have engaged with it on a, a really casual, but then academic level. Um, but then the kids also prepare projects that they, we bring with them uh, or they bring with them and they present those to industry partners, um, local community members, and then other students from other schools as well. So it's a pretty immersive experience and that's, I think, the the trademark quality of really awesome STEM education or really education in general is just making it where it, uh, it's as immersive as possible for kids.
0: Yeah, and I, I imagine something that you're able to um, awaken in students is just like their value to um, to others, like the the ability to make a difference, and like seeing opportunities like within themselves, their their skill sets that. Um, there's, there's a lot of different opportunities for different skill sets, um, to, to help people, right?
1: For sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, just awakening and awakening in then the, uh, concept that, you know, what they're doing inside of the classroom and the skills they're building and the knowledge they're building actually can build into something like outside of the classroom and outside of the school. Um, and so it's, it's a really impactful experience. And that's just one of the experiences that we uh, kind of plan through the STEM program. Um, as often as we can get the kids out of the classroom and learning in an organic, real-world setting, the, the better we uh, can serve students.
0: Yeah, and you've had some success with, um, uh, like, getting – supporting students and showing them the opportunities with, like, cybersecurity. Uh, Can you tell me a little bit more about that?
1: Yeah, sure. So, um, we actually was just able to uh, work with a national organization that's kind of housed out of my area uh, called the Cyber Innovation Center, and Louisiana just adopted the very first statewide cybersecurity pathway for high school kids. So um, working within my school system and working within industry partners within my area, uh, the dream is to build a, a K-12 pipeline of cyber education uh, within our school system that will make our area the next um, hub for cybersecurity industry jobs uh, for in the future for our kids. So it's, um, it's a vision that I'm hopefully going to be able to kind of flush out this year as I um, go throughout my service year as state teacher of the year.
0: Yeah. So tell me about that. Like, uh, do you, um, are you, are you currently, are you charged with any students of your own right now or are you kind of traveling around? Um, what's, what is it, what does it look like uh, as you're serving in that capacity as state teacher of the year?
1: <laughs> yeah, it is a lot of spending place. Um, I actually do have students this year. Um, so, this year, um, my home school is Elmborough Middle School, but this year I have um, been reassigned to serve at Hot Middle School and Cope Middle School, um, which are two other schools in my area to help bolster and reinforce their STEM and cyber programs. And then also, really, just to, so, to try some things out. You know, I um, have been working within sort of a vacuum of my own school for so long that mm-hmm. um, they're giving me the uh, flexibility to see if some of the things that I've been working on can work at other schools as well. So um, with all the intent of sharing it with schools, any schools or any teachers who are interested in doing the similar um, line of work with their students as well. So it's uh, it's going to be an interesting year. I am still doing a lot of traveling with um, State Teacher of the Year business. So my, my tenure as State Teacher of the Year actually ends January of 2020. Uh, so I still have a, a couple of events left as far as my cohort goes but um i do have students of my own and uh, they're very excited for the the content and the vision that we have for them as well so it's it's been a great partnership um it's it is a lot of juggling it is a lot of spinning plates uh, being state teacher of the year and balancing your own class load but um for the majority of us that is the the circumstance that we're in where we still teach we, we're still in front of students and um we're still doing the, the best we can for kids you know while we're still serving in a, a state level capacity
0: what do you think has been the greatest opportunity uh either for yourself personally or your district or just you know the field in in general that you feel like you've been able to grab onto or uh even after your uh 10 years done here um that like you're gonna take that with you that um that that's forever changing the way that you approach your practice
1: oh man Let's see. It's been so incredible. I will tell you that as of a year ago, pretty much to the day, um, I had never traveled internationally before. So, um, I grew up in a a kind of a, a rural setting. Uh, we didn't have a lot of opportunity or, um, capability of traveling a whole lot. So, uh, we never really went on vacation. So being from a rural part of Louisiana, it was, uh, my perspective was kind of narrow. Um, But it it widened as I, of course, became older. So uh, as of last year, a year ago, I never really traveled internationally. Um, I've gone on cruises and things like that and have seen a a little bit of Mexico, but uh, I've never really truly traveled internationally. And since this opportunity as State Teacher of the Year, I've traveled to the Middle East four times this year and was also offered an opportunity from EF Tours, um, an amazing opportunity to go to Germany and Switzerland to observe um, their education system, learn about the culture, um, just be immersed in that experience that is Berlin, um, and then also experience uh, an amazing creative event called the Global Leadership Summit in Davos, Switzerland. So um, that has forever changed my perspective, truly. Um, Just learning about different cultures and having that opportunity to travel this year um, has broadened my scope to realize so many things um, about my own practice and the students that I serve and how kids are pretty much just kids wherever they are um, dealing with some of the similar issues that um, my students are dealing with, you know, they all want to flip bottles and play Fortnite and, (laughs) (laughs) um, and go through some of the similar struggles. And then the, some of the unique struggles that my students go through that other cultures don't really experience and how other cultures have maybe created, um, structures in place to, to support their students in a different capacity to ensure those issues don't come up. Um, so it's been really incredible traveling. That has forever kind of shaped, reshaped my mind, to be honest with you. Um, and I will always sort of look back on the experiences from this year and all the travel and see the investment that I need to make as a teacher to allow my students to gain that global perspective as quickly as they can. Because it truly is a, a transcendental experience um, for my district and uh, for my area. A lot of kids are a lot of kids are growing up now in similar circumstances that I grew up in as a child. You know, not really having the opportunity to to go and see and do a lot. So, um, for me, I I see that I have a responsibility to take as many of these opportunities that I've been able to experience as State Teacher of the Year and bring those back to my community um, and just inspire kids. With them, you know, uh, pictures with the president, pictures of me at the top of the Burj Khalifa, you know, all of these things. Um, you know, I, I started this with a vision when I was 16, and that vision has transported me to the place where I am today. And I want to be sure that I convey to students that you know, establishing a vision for yourself, no matter what you want to do, establishing a vision for yourself is going to allow you to be successful. Um, in ways that you have no idea yet. So um, that's, that's kind of the message that I want to convey to the kids in my area. Yeah. There's
0: so much, there's so much to unpack there, Spencer. Uh, It seems like traveling around the world, one of the greatest impacts is you're, you're probably a more culturally responsive educator. Now you, you see the nuance in your, your home, uh, um, your home student culture and, and able to see parallels and differences across, uh, uh, you know, the students of the world, um, which is probably just a powerful, like tacit superpower that you've acquired over the last year. (laughs) Um, I, I'm, I'm also, I'm kind of curious, is it mostly like networking with other educators? Like, um, um, taking a look at exemplar classrooms, what what do you, what have you been engaging in these trips? You said you've gone several times to the Middle East. Is is there um, is there more than just networking with educators, which is important, and and seeing classrooms um, that you're doing in these trips abroad?
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's a really good question because a lot of people. Um, you know, it could be seen as like vacation, right? You know, like, oh, right. you're going to the Middle oh, you're going to Germany or Switzerland. But um, it's been some of the most cerebral work that I think I've done. Um, I just turned 31, and looking back at my 20s, it, it, it's definitely right on up there with like maybe my first year teaching. Um, it is the most cerebral work that I think I've done in the past 10 years. Um, it's a good combination, a good balance of me conveying my ideas and my practice to other people. But then also it's putting me in the seat of a learner and thrusting me into the, the capacity of trying to build, I guess, background in equity and um, best practice and culturally responsive education and all of these big ideals that I think that um, as a whole – we're we're just now seeing the true benefit of teachers going into the field and having these capacities. Um, but I've been thrust in this role of having to sort of learn all of these things at like a thirty thousand foot level um, as a crash course. And so it's been a lot of me just learning and absorbing and hearing and listening and watching um, other mm-hmm. educators and um, experts within the fields um, that they're that they're presenting, uh, really just kind of conveying these ideas to us. And so for me, it's been, um, extremely, extremely cerebral in that capacity, just learning, um, and listening to the stories of other educators and other experts in those fields. Um, and then, like I said, the other half is sort of the traveling show that is any state teacher of the year, to be honest with you, um, going around your state, going around, um, to other conferences, delivering workshops, delivering keynotes, um, and just really, sharing as much as you can about your philosophy of education, why you became a teacher and um, using your platform to inspire change, to be honest with you. And every state teacher of the year has um, like a really unique platform um, that they've developed that they hope to spend the year sort of spurring change.
0: You talk about the platform and and talk about the really access, access to people, access to resources, access to, uh, um, you know, global, um, uh, opportunities. Um, do you, f- are you starting to find any barriers being built by, um, by your position? Is there anything like you can't do anymore? Is there anything that, uh, is a, is a struggle now that, uh, you've got that title attached to you, like really for, for a career, right?
1: Sure. Yeah. Um, and I've always said this, to be honest with you, uh, even before I was state teacher of the year long before I was state teacher of the year, but, um, I have no idea what I want to be when I grow up ever. Um, (laughs) So, um, I just, I love teaching and I love being in the classroom. Um, it seems like anytime that I feel like I'm lacking in an area, I just add a side hustle or two, um, like teaching at the university or working with a company or, um, something that just kind of fulfills me, gets me through that little, um, stint a doubt or um, feel like I'm missing something. And then I, I'm, I still always have my sights set on the classroom. So as far as barriers go, um, you know, everyone has, all the state teachers of the year, and I don't want to generalize um, too much, but everyone has like, such a different circumstance, circumstance that they're coming from. Um, and everyone's service year is different. For me, um, I had an extremely supportive school district um, who invested in me, uh, allowed me to have a co-teacher last year that I, uh, was able to build capacity in and mentor, um, throughout the whole process uh, of me being gone and, uh, so, which was really good for the kids. But, um, for me, the barriers I think are almost truly self-imposed, honestly. Um, there are times where I, um, and it's usually kind of in the evening times when after a long day and my brain's kind of tired, and I wonder, you know, what is the next step? Um, am I doing enough with my position? Um, am I making enough of an impact? And I think that's something that a lot of us go through. But um, I think that majority of the barriers are self-imposed. And it's just overcoming that imposter syndrome, uh, which is a really big mm-hmm. deal um, that a lot of us have to go through uh, in this capacity, unfortunately. But, you know, we... Some of us overcome it uh, some of us overcome it eventually and some of us never do um, and you always just kind of feel like you know it's just really like did they make a mistake is this really me um, but the majority of the barriers that I've experienced and will probably continue to experience are the self-imposed ones
0: I, I imagine you have lots of long days interacting with people and uh, and then at some point in time, it all quiets down. You're in a hotel room by yourself. It it That's during those times. Is it mostly like reflecting on your day and, and it, like regretting a lot of stuff? Or is it just like, wow, like I, I, I appreciate this opportunity to be here or is it, it's both. It, yeah,
1: it's, it's a good bit of both, but um, I would say for me, it's really just like relishing in the Complete amazement and shock that I'm even afforded an opportunity to do some of the things that I've done. Um, I just never in my wildest dreams imagined that I would be, you know, going to the White House or, um, sure, be going to Dubai or something incredible, you know, like I never, never anticipated having a life that entailed something like that. So, um, yeah, I think so. I think for me, it's really just the, the, the complete amazement and shock, you know, I go, sometimes when I travel, I'm I'm going and I start jotting in my journal of things that, you know, how am I going to be able to parlay this into like a a workshop or a presentation for other teachers, um, how to take this experience and go back into the classroom with it. Um, I make little notes to myself like, Oh, I really need to flip grid tomorrow and, uh, record a video for my kids. And so that way I can kind of explain and show them when I get back and, um, those types of things. So, Yeah. Yeah. Good question. I love that.
0: I, I ask just out of curiosity. I, I, my, my mind is usually quietest like 11, in the morning. Um, It's also the time where um, everyone I love is uh, no longer conscious. Um, And I do a lot of like staring at the ceiling and, and kind of replaying my day. And um, you know, I think, Fairly or unfairly, you know, uh, I'm not having the same exact experiences as as you are and no one does. Right. Everyone has their differing experiences, but it, it just, um, I, I do a lot of like, like I go through this cycle of regretting a lot of things like, like, why did I say that? Or like, I really should have asked this or, um, why didn't I do that when, when that opportunity was, uh, was given to me. And it just seems like you have a really like, reflective mind in that in that capacity as well
1: i do yeah i I agree um so i'm an introvert by nature and uh it's kind of interesting you know having to meet the other state teachers of the year and you can tell definitely the more introverted ones and um who are probably the more reserved ones and i think for me that's in order to really avoid the that regret because i often do the same thing uh in the evening times you know like was that was that something I really needed to do? Was that something I really should have done differently? Um, I do go through that bout pretty often. Um, but for this year of my life, I kind of flipped the script on what how I've approached situations in the past and have really just kind of taken every opportunity in the, in the front seat um, instead of being a, p- a bit more passive with things. And so um, that has that has been pretty interesting because, uh, with my cohort, I'm pretty extroverted with them. And, um, by the time that I get back from a state teacher of the year event or really any event, um, that I've attended this year, I almost have to have like a day or two just to recharge because I've expense, um, so much energy putting into other people and putting into conversations. Um, and so that I've pushed myself and really stretched myself to, step out of my box, um, that my introvertedness in this often kind of puts me in and um, mm-hmm. have engaged on a whole different level. And so with that, I that has kind of kept the regret at bay. Um, I've taken advantage of every opportunity, almost said yes to, or said yes to almost everything um, that I have been requested of or um, have sought to do as State Teacher of the Year. So the, the regret I've been able to luckily kind of keep low this year and um uh, I'm, I'm really proud of the work that i've been able to accomplish but it was really pushing myself out of that comfort zone um that that allowed me to do that
0: that's that's interesting are you starting to be able to draw energy then from the um being a little bit more extroverted during the day um but, or is it still like always depleting for you
1: <laughs> i i don't think that there's probably ever going to be a time in my life where i truly like just gain energy from that. Wow. Yeah, um, it's, I'm sort of adapted and have uh, built in more time with my, myself, my, my spouse, my family to, to really just have that recharge time necessary. And I have an amazing support system uh, within my own personal life that, that they're just so proud of this experience and proud of the work that I've been able to do that, um, it's really just yielded some pretty great results for me personally and of course, professionally. So, um, now that, that recharge, that's definitely necessary. It's just, uh, now kind of in a different form than what it used to be in the past.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, it, it's, it, it's amazing. The, um, I mean, you talk about all, all of what you're doing, like going to the white house is, a um, an, an extremely like, Extroverted experience, or at least can be right. You're probably shaking hands with a million people that um, are of great significance to the country. So like, like just being being on all the time. So like, that's a it's incredible as a as a fellow introvert. Um, I know that um, it's it's interesting. It's, it doesn't mean that your skill set doesn't allow you to be effective with communication. Um, it, you can be a great presenter you can be a great coach you can be a great teacher right it's just it's where you draw your energy from do you draw your energy by uh being around a ton of people and interacting with them or does that uh does that take from you um i think it's, it's something um you know interesting to think about um like like with the classroom like our uh helping our shy kids realize that they they can be effective communicators, that, um, that they can grow and shape that skill, that it's not um, something that um, should be avoided, but that, you know, mindfulness towards what gives you energy and what recharges the batteries, it's important to have, to, to cycle those things and honor that, like, almost primal need or not even primal, like, it's hardwired into us, right? Like, that's how that's how we recharge and we're able to come back and, and put more good into uh, um, into the work that we're doing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and all kids need advocates. Um, and it's just like
0: <clears throat>
1: diversifying the teacher pipeline, you know, as necessary as that is, it's necessary for students to have um, experiences to experience teachers um, that have differences in personality types uh, as much as nece- as it is necessary for students to experience teachers from other races, sexual orientations, um, disabilities abilities um and so it's it's important for students to experience educators who um possibly embody qualities that they themselves have um and, mm-hmm. and see that that level of success um and as teachers it's important for us to embed activities and opportunities for those students to shine as much as the extroverted students do so
0: Ah. <sighs> Well, it's been great talking with you, Spencer. I, I appreciate, uh, you kind of going deep and, uh, um, kind of hopping up on the couch with me a little bit on sure. unpacking, <laughs> unpacking that for me. Um, uh, you're, so you're heading back to the middle East this afternoon, right? I am. Yeah. i fly out today. Well, um, I, I wish you safe travels. Uh, I hope, um, you're, um, you know, you come and come back with your mind racing with lots of ideas and opportunities. Um, and I hope uh, the end of your tenure as a uh, um, state teacher of the year um, goes out with a bang. Um, is there like is there a transition? Like, are you um, do you have a close relationship or at least like like a functional relationship with you? Uh, uh, the 2020 Teacher of the Year. Has that been um, announced at this point? Has, or? Yeah, um, his name is Weird. Yeah. yeah, he
1: is uh, from Chalmette High School down in St. Bernard Parish in Louisiana. So okay. I'm at the top part of the state. He's at the very bottom. Um, he's an AP uh, Human Geography and World History teacher. Um, he's an incredible individual. And um, definitely, yeah, he. Uh, we all have a great relationship. Um, I will honestly say that Louisiana... They, they find teachers who are going to go into this not only just for a year, but also assimilating into an incredible family of prior and future state teachers of the year. Um, so I have a great working relationship with the ones that have come before me, and Chris and I have a great working relationship and bounce ideas off each other all the time. So um, yeah, there's a little overlap there, and then he'll officially start his tenure as a 2020 State Teacher of the Year January of next year.
0: Well, that's so cool. Yeah. Well... Yeah, I mean, um, best wishes to both of you. And um, again, safe travels. Uh, and thanks for talking to me today. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for the opportunity. I'm here with Justin Bruno, Professional Learning Services Manager for Michigan Virtual and my cubicle neighbor. Do we still call him cubicle or do we call him worksta- workstation neighbor? Workstation. Our workstation neighbor.
2: Open workplace environment.
0: Yeah, because like cubes are the tall ones, right?
2: Right, that's true. Yeah, they're not really cubes anymore.
0: Right. The o- The office had an open office environment.
2: That very, is true. Very modern. Yeah, desk but, mega desks yeah. even.
0: I don't think that traditional cubicles would lend itself well to a television program. <laughs> like lines of sight for those cameras. Marking, kind of we need
2: some marking, some staging.
0: I work closely with Justin. Um, I've known Justin for five years, and Justin is my link to Spencer Kuiper. So thank you for introducing him to me, and I thought that we had a really good conversation. And Justin's here to help me unpack that conversation with Spencer. So take okay. it away, sir.
2: Let's remove it from the pack. Uh, yeah, I mean, first of all, I should mention that I only... No, Spencer from maybe a one hour interaction <laughs> at a networking event, but I was really impressed with the guy and really, um, eager just to learn more about what he does, what he's able to do, thanks to the position that he's in. And, um, and I was just glad that we, as Michigan virtual got to highlight some of that. So, um, I think, it's, it's it's really interesting. First and foremost, I guess the kind of most natural connection I feel to Spencer is that he is a fellow native Louisianian, which I am. Um, and so when <laughs> I heard him say the words, go Tigers to someone at this networking event and, <laughs> and had like an actual pin from the state of Louisiana on his coat and you know he's obviously the Louisiana teacher of the year, I knew that this was someone I needed to at least um, – signal to to let him know that we we're on the same same wavelength and so um
0: do you think he knew before talking to you i that you had kinship
2: i doubt it unless like someone an organizer from the event like gave him a heads up like hey there's another one of you here <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so i mean I, I wanted to really make sure that i introduced myself to him and um and get him connected to us in some way and so i think uh you getting the chance to interview him was incredibly enlightening just to learn a little bit more about what it's like to be someone in that position as well as just from the perspective of getting the vantage of someone who really thinks outside of the box, um, really kind of seizes opportunities um, wherever he is in his kind of teaching profession and – um does things, I think, for the right reasons. And and those were kind of the, the bigger takeaways that I had from your interview. And, and kudos to you for being able to um, extract that kind of stuff from such a busy person. Uh, sure. And, yeah.
0: First podcast he's done. He told me that after we kind of got done. And I was like, wow. Like, I'm sure that he's been in articles and interviewed quite a bit, but.
2: Media hasn't caught up to this art form.
0: This this art form of, of teaching.
2: <laughs> oh, of podcasting. Oh, podcast. Yeah.
0: Yeah, 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 That's that's a blatant lie. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's got a podcast now. I, I, like Conan pushing uh, little podcasts out of the way for <laughs> that new model of Hey, you're a celebrity. You can have a podcast. And Conan's not even the originator of that, right? Right. But um, uh, back on topic. A little bit, just the busyness of the guy jumped on a plane to the Middle East uh, immediately after our our conversation. He hadn't even packed yet, Uh, and and so like that, like that's an educator through and through, right? Like even even with that busy schedule, just time for everyone that he feels could be valuable. So yeah, um, yeah, appreciate his giving of his time, knowing full well uh, the busyness that uh, a teacher of the year encounters
2: yeah yeah so like you mentioned he was literally flying somewhere right after your podcast and uh, your interview and you know you started the the kind of uh, conversation with this idea of an origin story so he was literally a flying superhero with an origin story Um, and I just thought you know I think he sold himself a little short when he said I don't really have an origin story and uh, I You clearly have an origin story and it is like one that's born out of like a real world uh, way to grind through and find a niche in a space to be able to do something that you really enjoy doing and work with students uh, with things that really drive your own passions and and spark passions in them too. So I was was really struck by uh, his kind of underselling of that because I thought I was really just impressed with his quote unquote origin story. Like to be someone from a rural – Southern town, not known for its uh, ability to tap into what we might think of as like STEM careers or Mm -hmm. the definition of STEM, probably not even on his radar growing up as a kid. Right. And to be able to kind of craft that out of um, uh, of of just himself, really, I think, was just super impressive. and Something that really struck struck me.
0: Yeah. And his everything comes full circle, I think what he was talking about was he finds opportunities for himself and then he brings it back home. Mm -hmm. He, um, you know, goes out and, and establishes himself as a STEM educator and, and, and begins there. But that's not, that's not the end. Everything was like, what can I do to strike out, have these experiences for myself and consciously he's always in two places. Mentally he's, where he's at in the moment, but then he's back home thinking about, okay, how can we, how can I bring these opportunities that are, you know, for lack of a better term, because it gets overused, real world application for uh, everything that I'm, I'm going out and experiencing. And that that was really, he's he's really grounded, is a, is a good way to, I guess, sum up Spencer, is that no matter how high he flies, he's he's firmly grounded in what's, in, what's important is ex, extending that frame of reference for his kids as his own frame of reference is being
2: grown. Mm-hmm. Something that struck me too is his um, kind of take that the best learning happens outside of the classroom. And that's mm. something that um, you don't hear a lot of, I think, when we at least where I sit a lot of times, right? Like um, we're talking about uh, – we have such a focus on what happens in that specific period of time in a classroom from instructional moves to assessments to the standards that are in place that kind of drive that activity, right? And here he is with this totally out-of-the-box thinking that, hey, um, I want to get these kids out literally outside of the classroom. I want to create a film festival. Like, yeah. To have the idea of, first of all, a film festival, which – I probably didn't even know what a film festival really was until like entering college. Uh, and then also to tie that to STEM, which aren't necessarily the most, isn't the most natural marriage, right? In terms mm-hmm. of, 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 uh, kind of topic areas. And then for him to say, like, this would be a great opportunity for my students to leave the classroom and experience something totally new and, um, tie these things together and just realize the kind of like interdisciplinary connections between a lot of these things. Like that's, that, that's that's like what visionaries do, and I'm just incredibly impressed by it, and kind of jealous that he wasn't my teacher when I was yeah. growing up, right?
0: Yeah, it, it's the enthusiasm of it. Like whether whether that statement that you just made is true or not—that the best learning experiences happen outside the classroom—I think could be debated. Mm-hmm. However, the enthusiastic approach that he takes towards building that i think in itself is engaging for students right Uh, i think that that's something to take away from what he's talking about like as a teacher you can have a bias towards believing a certain way and let it impact your practice and do it really well right like like go all in on it and there's nothing wrong with just awesomeness being your guide for a, a significant part of these th- these big passion projects that that you can take on. I think, yeah, that when you think about what Spencer's doing with those with those projects, that's exactly w- what it is. Um, whether or not research backs it, and and I do not want to downplay research um it, it should inform and and does inform a lot of best practices there's something to be said about that energy right like it it's contagious with with the kids if you believe that there's good to be done go out and do it and bring others along with you
2: mm-hmm. uh, that's yeah i think you're you're entering into like <laughs> a core foundational kind of like um I don't know what you would call it, like argument, debate, topic within the field of research, right? Are you born with – or within the field of education, are you born with it? Like is it it something that just like you are – you embody and that you're able to create the relationship Mm -hmm. with that kid to kind of bring them – to to bring them along – on whatever journey you want to you want to go on, or is it something that is like grinded through and learned, and something that we can like bottle and and mm. give it to other teachers too, right? And I don't think for I I, I mean I, I like to it reminds me of like the nature versus nurture debate, right? I like to think we can um, take lessons from Spencer and uh, be like Spencer in the classroom, right? Be like the great teachers that we had, um, even if we have different skill sets and even if we have a different energy right um but there is just something that's so natural about his energy and natural about his passions that i think is a real incredible value that clearly has gotten him to where he is today
0: put yourself in the shoes of spencer's administrator of record you've got this really great educator on staff you could approach it as i've got this supernova Right. And I I just, I need to, I I need to let this supernova do supernova things and point to the supernova and try to, try to empower it to, um, to do all the good that it can, all the good that he can. Let's not, uh, uh, objectify (laughs) Spencer here. Um, I don't know. I'm I'm tapping into personal experience here, where and I'm by no means comparing myself to Spencer. I don't think we need to compare educators, but I had a lot of enablement from my um, from my administrators, from my um, supervisors, and like how do you how do you support a teacher like that? How do you challenge a teacher like that? How do you approach? Because I think the natural tendency is to uh, just hope that it cross-pollinates and it's contagious, right? It's I, I'm mixing my metaphors there. <laughs> that, that like it is something that you can catch, mm-hmm. and so uh, I'm just hoping my staff is inspired, and uh, you know I'll put. Put Spencer into different PLCs and and have different buildings, different right? buildings, he was, he was right? In different yeah, buildings. you're 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 moving around and everything like that. And those those approaches aren't wrong, mm-hmm. right? um But like, how how is Spencer continuously supported? If you are to believe that we're not born with it, that we grind, that we shape grow and develop it over time which i think ultimately is a really positive way of looking at it because if you if you believe wholeheartedly like if you're going to pick one or the other and you say you're you either have it or you don't then like what is that what's the implications for professional learning in that sense like what what can you do
2: yeah why are we doing what we're doing (laughs) why
0: why would we do that right so but it is just kind of Like how do you personalize professional learning in that sense? Mm -hmm. What does a teacher like Spencer need versus the teachers that in your mind, you might have a understanding that they're benefiting from the status quo of professional learning experiences that you're, that you're providing and then struggling educators you know, there's there's more personalized PD plans for struggling educators than there are for high-achieving educators, right? Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. I, I mean, I think um, one I, – I think there are tons of things that people if, – if, if they're not – we're not trying to duplicate Spencer in our own practice, right? We're not trying to just like be Spencer in our own classrooms. But there are things that you can latch on to and say like, I experienced this I think in the same way Spencer does. Or I – Feel this way about my own practice, and I want to think about how Spencer or other teachers might go about like um, making a change to their practice or thinking about what they do as a uh, through that reflection. One, I think he used the phrase "imposter syndrome," which I thought was
0: oh yeah that he has imposter syndrome sometimes. Right
2: to go to like that really vulnerable place as Louisiana Teacher of the Year, like to go to that vulnerable place as someone who has been to the White House and has traveled all over the world and is propped up as uh, this, uh, this like kind of exemplar uh, exemplar teacher to know that even he struggles with those sorts of things. I think that gives some, some kind of uh, avenue for teachers to think that uh, people struggle with that. And and I shouldn't just say teachers, students, most especially, right. Students are always going to be in that, be faced with those sorts of feelings about whether or not they can achieve something, whether or not they have the right skill set to do something. And just to know that, like, everybody on a human level grapples with those sorts of things is just an important thing for him to be able to really eloquently talk about. So I really appreciated that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It, it it's must be an interesting feeling to walk into the White House and at the same time, not understand why you're there or feel like you might not deserve to be there. Right. And, and wrestle with the competing thoughts in your head of, again, I can't worry about not feeling like I'm worthy. I've got to take advantage of this opportunity for my students. Right. Mm -hmm. So like, that's a, it's an interesting headspace that, that he must be in and state teachers of the year, around the country uh, every year and over time I mean just because your um, your year of state teacher of the year ends doesn't mean that your life goes back to complete normal right it, right it, like from that point on you're you know if you if you want it you have a career of speaking engagements and other stuff beyond just your your classroom activity right and that must be you know, it, it, it's a, it's a humble profession. It's, um, it's a profession where I think many, uh, many teachers at some point in their life, whether it was at a very young age or when they went to college, uh, or had a change of heart midway through a career, when, when you stake out to go into education, many of us want to be classroom teachers. Like that's, that's the goal. And once you achieve that, and then you go beyond it, and you find all these opportunities with that you're enabled with once you've attained an award like that, or even those that go into administration, or, geez, Justin, find yourself in the position of working for a K 12 nonprofit and working specifically with professional learning and doing stuff in the field of K-12 education that you never thought of when you initially set that out. Like how, how, do you, um, how do you accept becoming what you're becoming in that next stage of your professional life that you, you didn't necessarily anticipate?
2: So I just want to take a moment to mention that I, I've, I joke around the office a lot that Jeff seems to like live in my brain. And I feel like this is another prime example of this. This is kind of like where my head had been after listening to Spencer's interview. Um, and it's like, you knew that somehow because you, you <laughs> live in my brain. Um, I was peeking at your notes. That's what it was. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, like to think about, um, an educator's path and to think about that constant, uh, question of him or herself about like, am I doing what I am best equipped to do to serve this field, to serve students, um, to kind of help everybody realize their full potential? I mean, I, I just had a ton of reflection about that being that Spencer and I are about the same age. Um, we probably entered the teaching workforce at around the same time, um, both in the state of Louisiana, and we took totally divergent paths. And we, I think, are both pretty comfortable with where we've landed um, and we're trying to figure out how, how – trying to answer those questions of ourselves along the way, right? Trying to make sure that what we're doing is utilizing our skill set in the best way to ultimately serve the audience that we're we're trying to serve. And so – again, it's just really encouraging to hear someone like Spencer be incredibly reflective about those things to have that kind of like natural, uh, energy, joy, passion about things that really, um, doesn't ever lead you to doubt whether or not he's doing the right thing in his own career. Right. right. That, that really kind of like solidify, uh, <laughs> and, and, and helps us be thankful for the fact that he's the person teaching those kids. Right. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And And so that, that was kind of where my headspace had been after, after hearing the interview. Um, And it was just, I don't know. It was enlightening. It it was refreshing. It was, it it helps, it helps us all process because we're all in this kind of like field that has a ton of complexity and a ton of, um, a ton of policy implications and a ton of practical practical implications that, We're all just trying to like wade through a lot of times and it's just refreshing to kind of strip it all down to those essential questions and Mm -hmm. really like try to answer those of ourselves. Do you think that that's –
0: I'm sure there's tons of intent. The primary intent of awarding a state teacher of the year and giving that to a a worthy recipient is to genuinely – honor the contributions to education that that individual is making right but i i feel like gosh it's got to be another intentional purpose to help us all come back to that classroom level to hold up this shining example that you know like of of good and and honoring like the individualism because all, all the state teacher of the years. And I say all, I think I've interacted personally with three, (laughs) but like these, these engaging personalities, it's like holistic, like there's flesh on the, on the best practices. And it's like you, you leave, it's inspirational and it, and it reminds you of, How important that unique relationship is with that teacher, those students, and um, what what that it all comes down to that combination. That's the um, that's the crucible of of education. That teacher, those students. Mm -hmm. I just feel like if there's no other purpose beyond to remind us that that is what we're. Striving towards. And that is what everything that we do, whether it be from a policy standpoint or a practical um, professional learning uh, standpoint um, or tweaking. I mean, you could you could tweak grade levels in buildings and and do all sorts of stuff, but it all comes back to that teacher, those students.
2: Mm-hmm. I I, I'm. That's kind of exactly where I was trying to distill the conversation. Was like, why why do we have this award? What are we What are we trying to do with it? How are we trying to use it to serve the field? Um, And I think, I mean, it's going to be different across every state, and the way that that teacher kind of uses that platform is going to be different across every individual. Um, But I do think like there's a legitimate intent to just holding that person up to holding that kind of like practice up as an example um and i don't know sadly in america we we find ourselves having to legitimize the profession a lot of times right to argue sure. in favor for of yeah. it you and i talk all the time about you know seeing teachers treated as rock stars in other countries and you know kind of reaping a lot of the benefits that You don't really get, um, uh, ancillary benefits, right? Like not, not just like the benefit of being able to have a direct and incredible impact with a student. Um, but I think if we can do more of that, if we can use these platforms to kind of like encourage more of that dialogue and, and, and just kind of showcase the incredible impact that these people have, then, um, Ultimately, I think that's a good thing, and I want us to be able to kind of expand on that to the extent that we can, right? And to um, highlight as many people as we can. I mean, that's why I love your podcast is because you're you're hearing from people who are doing it on a day to day basis, and um, you're giving a little bit of insight into exactly what you said, like that teacher and those students, and mm-hmm. and and that's ultimately what it what it is. Well, thanks. <laughs> You, was I supposed to come on and review your podcast in front of you? That's that... what, hey, let's <laughs> let's
0: go through the constructive points now. <laughs> well, thanks for the invitation. You know, the, talking to Spencer, um, you know, you met him and spoke to him for such a brief period of time, and I had no idea that that's that was the extent of of the the, the working relationship or uh, the, the personal relationship that you had with him. So. I appreciate that, and I appreciate you coming on and and helping me unpack a little bit. I've this is the third one that I've done. I really like the feeling of it. I uh, I've been using the metaphor of uh, resin on top of a, a table or a countertop. Uh, it just helps to um, you know fill in all the cracks and really round out uh, what we have um, content wise from, from these. So thank you for, uh, being that thought partner and, and, uh, appreciate the back and forth.
2: Absolutely. It's my pleasure.